ActualGarbage.net Machination Log for April 7th, 2016. Hey everybody, this is David Paddock. Welcome to the first episode of The Introverse, where I attempt to explain what it feels like, for me at least, to both interact with and anticipate interacting with people I've never met before. This series will hopefully explain, among other things, why I've only ever used Craigslist about three times. It also compresses a lot of the details for the purpose of decent storytelling, so just know that this only represents a fraction of the neurosis that transpired over the last 24 hours. I have a room in my house that contains a projector theater set up for watching movies and other shenanigans on weekends. It's where the movie crew gets together to review movies right before we record the consumption log. That room also contains my bed, because I don't believe in bedrooms, but we'll leave that to the side for now. You'd think that having a room mostly dedicated to maximizing the audio-visual experience would be capable of housing all the elements those setups are supposed to have, namely a receiver, a screen, some consoles, a couch, and speakers. All those staples do coexist peacefully in the master bedroom I've retrofitted for that purpose, except one. The subwoofer. I had bought an NXBAS 500 a handful of years ago. It's a pretty well-respected entry-level sub, and it was pretty cheap at the time, although I'm pretty sure that model is long discontinued at this point. Now, I'm not a bass head, I'm more of a mid-range guy, so a subwoofer was probably not a wise purchase in the first place. In addition, when I bought it, I was living in an apartment where there was zero opportunity for me to use it without getting evicted. But even now that I theoretically live somewhere where the association won't find me, unless I'm being truly obnoxious with it, that does nothing to alleviate the colossal pain in the ass it is to properly locate a subwoofer in a space with walls in it. The corners of the room where, you know, you'd intuitively put a big, stupid box that thumps are a non-starter. The sound doesn't blend at all and just sort of woofs whenever anything happens. Even placing it next to the front speakers along the back wall doesn't really solve the problem. You still get way too much of the the boomy sound out of the thing. I spent a lot of time moving that box around trying to get it to match with the rest of the sound system, and I did eventually find somewhere that it worked. Uh, If I put it on my bed, which is located to the left of the couch, it gives the bass thumps a nice damper, but I wasn't terribly excited about the prospect of constantly moving the thing around to produce sounds that I don't even like very much. So, I decided to get rid of it. Options for getting rid of a subwoofer are comparatively limited, unless you feel like paying to ship a massive 40-pound box for a device you only paid 150 bucks for. So, I went local and posted an offer of 100 bucks for it on Craigslist to get it out of my life rapidly without leaving too much money on the table. The first email came in less than an hour after I posted the offer, and a second and third one followed fairly soon after that. I caught all three of them at the same time and read through them. The second guy was trying to haggle me down to 80, so I immediately ignored him. Now I just had to decide how to respond to the other two. In the interest of fairness, it would make sense to extend the offer to the first guy first. I mean, I had no other criteria to judge the two parties. So, of course, I waited about 12 hours until a fourth person emailed asking where I lived and whether we could arrange a meeting to test the thing out and complete the transaction. It hadn't actually occurred to me until this moment that a buyer was probably going to want to know the thing worked before giving me the money. Now, I've never actually heard a story of someone being kidnapped going to somebody's house with $100 in merchandise from a Craigslist transaction, but I feel safe in assuming that it's happened before. So this guy was going to need to come to my place. 
which is unsafe for a completely different set of reasons, but I have more control over those. Just in case this was a phishing scam of inscrutable origin and purpose, I told them that I live near the Waterford Town Center. Just enough information to keep things moving without tipping my hand and telling him where we were almost definitely going to meet unless I figured out how to audition the sub in a parking lot somewhere. I guess we could have tried it in a Best Buy showroom or something. So, with that email sent, it then occurred to me that I had just responded to the third person in line first, with all accompanying guilt and shame for violating an elementary school-level principle of fairness. I fixed the situation by deleting the Craigslist ad, which confused the fourth person at first, but did the job. Now I just had to deal with the transaction itself. I still hadn't told this guy where I lived, that level of information was still above his pay grade. Instead, I knocked down the next wall, meeting time. He asks when we can meet. I tell him tomorrow after 3 is ideal. He picks 4.30. Boom. Time confirmed like nothing. Was that three emails? Too easy. But now I had to give up the ace. For those of you who don't know me personally, just for a frame of reference, I don't let most of my friends' friends over to my house without a fairly thorough introduction in a neutral space. You might say that makes me kind of like a dog, but that's frankly offensive, and shame on you for thinking of it. Regardless, with my reservations taken under advisement a minute before bedtime, I send Mike, in quotes, my address. I wake up the next day, 7 a.m. Could have done better, but life's a bitch. Cold shower. Half rack of spare ribs for breakfast. I'm going to need them. The game is afoot. Now we need a plan of attack. Priority suggested straightening up first, so I did that. I don't have anything particularly lewd in my house, but if Mike was inquisitive or judgmental, things might go downhill fast, and I would never be able to sell something on Craigslist ever again. Because, and I think we can all agree at this point, Mike is the kind of guy who would tell everybody. Not an option. I determined his angle of approach, opting for a garage entrance instead of the front door to reduce exposure to the giant wolf mural, and the electronics along the wall, as well as my bike and my inscrutable doorbell, which would only raise questions. This option forces me to be in the garage with the door open at the meeting time, but that's an acceptable sacrifice. I was working in there anyway. I cleared this path meticulously. I covered Nadia, Otis, Rock, and half a dozen other stuffed animals under the quilt on my bed. There was essentially no way Mike wouldn't know I'm a furry if he glanced in literally any direction while walking from the garage to the theater, but given that the level of exposure in the theater itself, where my bed is, would be the highest, that would take a greater degree of social pressure off the situation. I consider the option of having a glass ready for beverages, but this meeting shouldn't take long enough for that, and I need to do whatever I can to keep him from asking to use my bathroom, which I don't want to have to explain. I set my laptop down on the couch, open, facing where he will be sitting with Spotify open so he can choose a song. If he doesn't have an immediate preference, I have a playlist built in iTunes that contains Hydrogen from Hotline Miami for Electronica, Old Snake from Metal Gear Solid 4 for a subtler presentation, and Back in Black by ACDC for the classic feel. And I'll pick a song for him based on what seems appropriate for our rapport up to that point. I also included Back in Black in case I didn't want to explain to Mike that the song I picked was from a video game, because... You know how that goes. I spend the remaining time between 7.30 a.m. and 4.30 p.m. figuring out how Mike was going to rob me. It was a dead giveaway when he settled so quickly on 4.30 for the meeting. 
Who has time at 4.30 on a weekday to be driving somewhere to buy a subwoofer? Criminals, said Sue. And so, I spent that time crafting counter-operations for every scenario that came to mind. What if Mike is casing my house for future robbery? What if Mike has friends waiting for me to be distracted with the transaction so they can rob me now? How rapidly could I identify whether Mike is armed? What if Mike attacks earlier than the meeting time because I've accidentally exposed that I'm unavailable before 3? Which window is he most likely to force entry on? Is my tactical advantage enhanced by waiting outside the garage so I can see him and anyone he's bringing with him before they're on me? Will Ryan, who was home for all this, be able to assist if something happens? And what would be his response time from his room to each likely intercept point, factoring in his present illness of unknown severity? Dear listeners, these are the tough questions among literally dozens of less plausible ones you have to ask when you use Craigslist. 4 p.m. I get another message from Interpol fugitive Mike saying traffic is a little rough and that he'll get here at 5. Sure he will. I'm ready. I've got my work gloves on in the garage working on dueling Dan, which gives the appearance of distraction, but I know his game. Ryan's car is in the shop, which is even better because he'll see the one car and expect me to be alone. Mike's arrogance would be his downfall. 4.55 p.m. A blue Honda hatchback pulls into my driveway, parking behind my car in an attempt not to block the second driveway spot. I wave him in. He slowly opens his car door. He's a younger, middle-aged man, 5 foot 9, 140 pounds if I had to guess, almost certainly works a desk job. He actually looks like a furry himself. He's sheepish and awkwardly offers to shake my hand as he approaches, but I'm sick and so I decline. Which, while true, masked the more pressing concern that he could have grabbed my wrist and arm-locked me if he happened to be twice as strong as he looked or was a champion jiu-jitsu fighter or something. It's probably worth mentioning at this point that I chose to wear a tighter-fitting shirt this morning with the object of looking more intimidating. It's difficult to determine whether that tactic was effective, but I certainly felt safer, and sometimes that makes all the difference. Upon inspection at a distance, no apparent clothing cavities for firearms, so we're good. I lead him through the door, through the kitchen to the theater. He asks me if I'm a sculptor, no doubt referring to Duel and Dan. I don't remember what I said, but it sated his curiosity. We come to the point of sale, the NXBAS 500. Excellent condition, no box, no cables. I ask him to inspect it. While he does that, I excuse myself to check the garage in case a burglary is in progress. No obvious signs of it. I come back, and Mike doesn't look like he's moved. He mentions in passing that if I hadn't got back to him, he was also eyeing a klipsch another buyer had put up. I give a cordial shrug, but no verbal reinforcement. He asks to hear it in action. I offer him a seat and ask him to pick something. He says he doesn't care, anything will do. His timidity, whether real or a facade, pushed me to Old Snake from the Metal Gear Solid 4 soundtrack. Just when the song starts, he asks, Sail from AWOL Nation? Which the grinding of my head turns into nonsense syllables, with an upward inflection at the end. We eventually come to an agreement that he was requesting a song, and I let him type it in. It plays, and on the first sub-80 hertz wave, he smiles the non-smile of an introvert who is afraid the emotions the music is producing in his chest 
are about to make him spasm in a personally delightful but outwardly embarrassing way. In other words, he's happy. He stands up, slaps his knees like he read about it in a book one time, and says, I'll take it. He reaches into his back left pocket, pulls out a leather trifold wallet, opens the back slice where the bills go, and fishes out a single folded stack of 520s, new enough to suggest that he withdrew them recently from an ATM. If it seems slightly creepy that I was watching this happen so intently, A, we probably haven't met, and B, you might have forgotten at this point that Mike is the criminal here. I'm still sick, so I ask Mike to carry the subwoofer out while I take care of doors and such. Making him carry it also symbolically acknowledges his full ownership of the device after the transaction and keeps my arms free in case he wanted to use this opportunity to catch me off guard. The rest of the transaction, like everything else, was uneventful. I wished Mike farewell, knowing in my heart that Mike is a shy office worker who is tentatively excited about getting a subwoofer for his stereo system, and knowing in my head that his cronies are probably getting ready to bust through my patio door in the next 10 minutes. But that's the world we live in. Selling secondhand audio equipment can be very stressful if your mind isn't a safe place. Always stay vigilant. Anyway, that's going to do it. If you have any dark neurotic loops that haunt every waking moment of your life that you would never tell another soul about, head on over to the forums on actualgarbage.net. We would love to hear about them. Good night, everybody. 